Well, I'll say it one more time. I love good worship. And it's so good to be led by a young woman. Uh-huh. Yeah, praise the Lord. Thank you. And the mother is in third heaven, and the dad's not so bad himself. Uh-huh. It's great to see them as a family, and there's others who aren't here. I, uh, I was blessed with that song about, you have never failed me yet. That's a beautiful phrase, you know. I'm 85, and he hasn't failed me yet, and he ain't going to fail yet either. It's a wonderful to know a God who is faithful. That was the theme of the song, wasn't it? He is faithful, and he hasn't failed us. You know, I became an orphan father, orphaned by father, because he took off to be with the Lord. He didn't run off with another woman. He went to be with the Lord. And uh, he left us, and he couldn't help it, of course. The Lord in his purposes knows exactly what he's doing. He makes no mistakes. Remember, two or three days ago, we talked about, as for God, his way is perfect. Perfect. No mistakes, baby. So don't worry. Uh, all his promises are real. And uh, it, it was good to be with the director and the dreams they have for that building. I uh, can't wait. If the Lord allows me on planet Earth, if not, I'll look down from heaven and take a selfie. Uh, you know, <laughs> see how, how this looks, you know. Maybe they let us do it. You never know. Hey, if we can have a selfie on Earth, don't you think the Lord has a better deal up there? He's got, I mean, he can beat Cook and all the others from Amazon and Apple and all these boys. But anyway, whatever, I want to see that new building. Wouldn't it be great, I mean, for us who are a little slow anymore, most of us here, uh, you know, to be able to just wander left over here and sit there and look at the trees and enjoy it. Uh, it's a great idea, good idea, good step. It'll be a great memento. And then as I was coming into breakfast, I was shocked. There's a brother here. Where is the attorney? who stopped me with his wife and frightened the socks of it. There, he's in the back, thankfully. Yeah, uh-huh. Yeah, he's, he's blind, but uh, he bright as can be. And he said, oh, I've been looking for you. And his wife, who's, you know, slim, but, uh, you know, tough, you can tell. And uh, he said, I graduated from both Berkeley and Stanford. Yeah. It can't get worse than that. Yeah, it simply can't. Uh, he's an attorney, so I got to watch what I say or I'll be sued tomorrow, you know? I'll pass the buck to you guys here at Mount Hermon because I said it while I was here. Yeah, that's the way it works today. Take revenge on your enemies. Uh-huh. But uh, what a beautiful thought. And last night, you know, I said to Pat, you know, how shall I close it? What, sh what shall I say, you know, this morning? And she reminded me of a story out of England in the Anglican church. They have a vicar, you know, the vicar is sort of the pastor and so on. And they had a young assistant who was a trainee. And as soon as he became the trainee, they invited him to a youth conference. And uh, he said, yes, he was so excited. I've just started my job and I've already got an invitation. But the day came for the speech and the day before he didn't know what to say. So he said to his vicar, vicar, vicar. What shall I talk about? What shall I talk about? The vicar said, talk about God and talk about 20 minutes. Yeah, I thought you'd like that. Yeah. I did not ask the question and I'm not going to answer that. I noticed in the program that there's nothing to lunch. So relax, everybody. Huh? Two hours. Uh, what a joy to hear me for two hours. Huh? 
I mean, that, you can take that memory back to your grandchildren and say, never go here, Louis Palooey. You know, he, he never stops. But 20 minutes is a little too short for me, you know. Presbyterians can take it, but most normal Christians can't do it. So, but I hope you'll pray for me <laughs> if you feel inclined to do it. Uh, not just that the Lord will show us what to do in the next months, years, who knows, you know. It's interesting that the Lord doesn't tell everybody. Sometimes he does tell people, and they know by the Holy Spirit. The Apostle Paul, you know, when I came down with this cancer, Mike and I were talking yesterday, and, and he asked me what thoughts went through your mind, and I've been trying to answer more fully afterwards. I'll have to call you. But uh, 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 the, the, uh, the idea of Paul I was reading 2 Timothy chapter 4. I've read it. I studied it word for word in my day. Every Greek word in 2 Timothy. And Paul says, I know that the time of my departure is near. And he wasn't that old. The theologians tell us he was probably no more than 65. You know, how did he know? And St. Peter, if I may call him that, I always call him St. Peter. After all, they were more saintly than me, so that's pretty good. Uh, but uh, Peter says, uh, the Lord has told me that my departure is near. So some of the Holy Spirit sometimes tells you, but not always. And in my case, I'm not sure he hasn't told me when I'm going. I thought the doctor spoke for the Lord, but they made a mistake, you know. And so now I'm just keeping my cool and uh, seeing what the Lord says. But do pray that the Lord will use us and give us wisdom. And we continue with radio. You know, we're, we're on 6,000 stations. Can you believe it? They have to listen even if they don't want to. You know, in Spanish, about 4,500 stations. In English, you know, on Caleb and Moody and all this. So I've got plenty to do, and I'm rejoicing in it. But today, so what can I say about God in 20 minutes? Not much, but I can say a lot in an hour. And uh, so, I, <laughs> it's not a joke either. Uh, <laughs> but uh, let's read Psalm 119. Uh, I'm sure you, you didn't remember. Oh, that's a long one. Yeah, I know why somebody laughed. It's got 170 verses and we'll study each one of them. Uh, but in Psalm 119, just the opening paragraph or two actually, uh, I, I, one day I was reading Psalm 119, not too many years ago. It must have been the end of the year or something, because the thought came to me, I must have been thinking about bonuses and so on for our team members or something, because I came up with the concept of perks for the people of God. Perks for the people. There's so many perks. And when we were singing about the faithful God who's never failed us yet, we old timers, if you remember what we started with on Friday, which seems like a year ago, but uh, the blessings that God has brought into our lives that we can enjoy as men and women, young, middle-aged, and older. And then that the young people are watching us. And it's not that we're putting on a show. God forgive it. Forgive. That, uh, forbid, that is. Uh, you know, we are not supposed to put on a show that we're happy. We're not supposed to put on a show with a facade. This is not Hollywood. This is not a production that we're onto. But to let the Holy Spirit work in us and through us what we know to be true and what we know to be the Lord's desire for us, even later in life. And let the young people see that we do rejoice in the Lord, that we do believe his promises, that we do rest in him even when things are not pleasant and things are not going. In the world you shall have tribulation. That's as much a promise as the good promises. You shall have tribulation. But cheer up. I have overcome the world. 
And a good question would be, yes, Lord, you that came the world, but what about me? And the Lord would say, I happen to live in you, therefore I can overcome the world in you and through you, and you can overcome the world because I live in you. Amen? Amen. Come on. Amen? Uh, I, I like to get Presbyterians worked up a little bit at least, you know. And this, this conference center has a Presbyterian background and roots. And therefore, you always got to needle them to keep them in their place. But uh, so in Psalm 119, you will notice just in paragraph two alone, some of the perks that the Lord talks about. And we'll analyze them, some of them. But there are four things I'd like you to keep in mind. And Lord willing, we'll look at them even in a bit of a rush. First, the greatest perk, if I may put it with reverence, is the presence of God in our lives. I mean, if there are any perks that are better than that, it's ridiculous to even think about it. The presence of God in your life, sister, in your life, brother, young, middle-aged, or old, that is the greatest blessing. And if it's real, and we'll look at it in a second here, uh, it ought to just burst out of us, not only when we're worshiping led by spiritual leaders, but also in a regular basis, getting up in the morning and having coffee and watching the news and watching the stock market to see how the retirement cash is coming and what Trump is up to, excuse me, yeah, and uh, what's going on in the country. Uh, nevertheless, the presence of God ought to be quite evident, amen? Uh-huh. So the world doesn't know that. It's so sad. They think it's a thing about religion. It's not about religion. It's the reality of a living God who indwells us, never leaves us, never forsakes. Now I'm jumping the gun. Number two, the promises of God. What a perk that is. Someone has said that there are 7,000 promises, but I think some of them are repeated. So maybe it's like 3,000. Not a bad number, huh? Bring it down to 1,000 if you wish. Try and memorize those 1,000. That's a lot of promises. And they are an unusual perk that the Lord threw into our salvation, so to speak, for us to enjoy at every level. And the Lord made promises about every aspect of our life. And we ought to take it to heart. I so praise God. I'm coming to the reading. Don't, don't close your Bible. Uh, I, uh, I so praise God for the missionaries who came to Argentina. I always have to praise the Lord. They brought us only two things, the Bible and Jesus Christ, or in reverse order, perhaps, Jesus Christ and the Bible. They go together anyway, but they were faithful. Most of them were self-supporting missionaries, by the way. They worked for Shell, one of them, for the railroads, for the meatpacking companies. They came down as Britishers to Argentina, but their goal was to serve the Lord, win people, plant churches, and they did it, and it's a solid thing. So the third great perk which will surprise you, but I'm quite high on this one, is, again with the letter P, the people of God. I tell you, in my sickness, I'm jumping the gun, but that's okay, the Lord knows. Uh, In my sickness, it just dawned on me again. One day I'm sitting around, and I thought, you know, the church is much better than we give it credit for. In the news, nobody ever says, Associated Press, great story, a church in Portland, took food to all the sick people in the, in the church. You know, 
Palau has cancer, and they just gave him so much food he could put up a restaurant. <laughs> so much food came. Those stories never get out. The only stories that get out is somebody who stumbled or ran off with somebody else's wife. Ooh, big wow. That's fun. But all the good stuff that goes on, I tell you, I can wax eloquent about the church. We're weak, yes. When I watch you, I know your church must be weak. But the fact is, the church is a glorious well, I'm jumping the gun. I better know. Number four, the proclamation, as the, as, the, as the psalm says back here, remember the wonders he has done. Proclaiming the wonders of God. So the three major perks that I mentioned, and then all sorts of sub-perks within these four, the presence of God, the promises of God, the people of God, and the proclamation of of the good news. And brothers and sisters, the world needs to see that we're not just churchy people, but cheerful, joyful, that we do have the Lord living in us and that we do rejoice even when we are sick. In fact, probably more so because we become very conscious of our dependency upon the Lord. Okay, so let's go. Uh, well, look, before we do Psalm 119, let's go to 1 Corinthians 6. Have you got your New Testament there? If not, just listen to my clear reading most of the time. 1 Corinthians chapter 6. I think we gave it a quick glance uh, yesterday, but let's look at it again. And it's the presence of God. This is awesome stuff. And it revolutionized my life when I finally got it at Mount Loma University in Portland, Oregon. Even though I was courting my wife, or she was courting me actually, but it doesn't matter. It worked both ways. Uh, we were there, a major called Ian Thomas came, a military Britisher, but also a man of God. And he came, and this revolutionized my life. I was 25, so it wasn't that old, but it was a long life. Here we go, chapter 6 and verse, let's just read, keep it tight. Um, let's say verse 18. Don't you know that your bodies are members of Christ himself. Shall I then take the members of Christ and unite them with a prostitute? Never. Don't you know that he who unites himself with a prostitute is one with her in body? For it is said that two shall become one flesh. But he who unites himself with the Lord is one spirit with him. You know, before we move on to just finish, what an astonishing, you know, the Lord is talking about the most sacred thing in our lives. Don't you know that your body is the temple of God? And suddenly he talks about prostitutes. He's like, why is she whiz? You know, it never crossed my mind, you know. Uh, but that he puts the two, one on top of the other. What an astonishing thing. Your body is the temple of God. So I'm going to fool around with a prostitute. He's like, gee whiz, what an illustration the Holy Spirit chose. Probably to shock us to make us think clearly about it. So he says then in the next paragraph, flee from sexual immorality. All other sins that a man commits are outside his body, but he who sins sexually sins against his own body. Don't you know, here comes the clincher, that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God. You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your body. Now, we also honor God with our spirit and with our soul. 
But interesting, honor God with your body. So the first thing is this idea. I love that connection. It struck me quite a few years ago. I think one day when I was teaching here, it suddenly came to me. He who unites himself with the Lord is one spirit with him. So it isn't you in Mount Hermon, California, sort of saying, hey, Lord, how are you doing up there? He's living in us. And being united with God has got to be the most astonishing thing that the Lord has revealed. He died, the death on the cross, without that, there's nothing. Our blessed master who was holy and pure, taking upon himself the sins of the world. What agony that must have been. No wonder he sweated like great drops of blood. No wonder he said, oh, Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from him. All the garbage of every sinner, you and me, uh, upon his holy person. And he paying the price with his own blood for you and me to be rescued and to become his people. And for our bodies to become his temple. But you know, the idea of God Almighty coming to live within a woman, coming to live within a man, living within us. It's a deep thought that needs to be meditated on and experienced and rejoiced over and talked about. And it's reality, as I said the other day, but I, I need to hammer it home. Because I think many times we miss that. We feel, well, it's me, my dedication, my surrender. And Ian Thomas spoke to my heart. A few of you have heard me tell this, but hey, good stuff is worth repeating. Huh? Uh, Moody used to say, if a thing isn't worth repeating a hundred times, it's not worth saying it once. So here we go for the hundredth time. He came and read the story of Moses and the burning bush. You know it, so I don't need to read it. Besides the fact that my eyesight is bad. Um, he said, Moses was taking care of the sheep, you remember? Suddenly he sees this bush out in the desert, burning but not consumed. So he goes up and says, I wonder what's going on here. And when he gets close to the bush, the Lord speaks to him out of the bush. You talk about a nice surprise. Moses, Moses, híjole, well, oh, that's a Mexican phrase. Uh, you know, uh, what, uh, where, 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 who's this? I mean, I don't see nobody. That's bad English, I know, but <laughs> yes, Lord, take off your shoes. The way, the place you're standing on is holy. It's just a desert, but it was holy because God was there. And he says, I've seen this, uh, my people Israel, the slavery, the suffering. I'm going to send you to go and liberate them. Moses, not me, not me. Send that somebody else. Okay, Aaron will go in your place. You, you, you're going to stutter. That's what you're going to do. Moses suddenly realizes, and he and Thomas got a lesson out of it. He said, what the Lord was saying to Moses was, Moses, I want you to go and speak to the Pharaoh and to my people and tell them, I am whom I am has sent me. Let, let my people go. He won't let them go, but you tell them, let them go. And he said, what the Lord was saying to Moses was, Moses, any old bush will do as long as God is in the bush. And he went on. It's going a little beyond scripture, but not anti-biblical. He said, I don't need a pretty bush. I don't need a well-educated bush. Not even Stanford. Yeah, I don't need a, a well-connected bush. Any old bush will do as long as God is in the bush. That's profound. 
Most of us are not pretty bushes. Some of you ladies are, but most of us guys aren't for sure. But if God is in the bush, there's power. And so that's the lesson that made me realize. So I was from Argentina. And I was bilingual, so I thought, oh, I'm hot stuff. I went to a British boarding school, ooh, you know, almost like Stanford, you know, but uh, <laughs> more classy because British, hey. Hi, how are you? Uh, and uh, so I could read the English books, and I knew a little bit more than the poor local preachers, just, and I thought that was a hot little number. But the lesson was, Luis, I don't need a bilingual guy who studied with the Cambridge people. I don't need that. <laughs> Let me be God in your life. And I will use you for the glory of my name and for the good of endless people. And the Lord says that to every believer. And you know the fact that we, our bodies, are temples of God. That is the greatest perk that you could ever imagine. And, and you can't ram it home enough because we tend to forget, especially under pressure, when we don't realize it. And then Ian used the verse, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I'm alive. But it's not I, it's Christ living in me. And the life I now live in this body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. The resurrection life of Christ in us. I used to preach from that verse, but I wasn't experiencing the reality for myself. Later, I went through my old notes that I used to preach as a young guy in Argentina, and I had fantastic outlines. I don't know where I got them from, and I could talk about Christ in us and the power of God. But I wasn't living it. Not that I was a hypocrite or anything. Because as I told you the other night, and I'm sure you remember everything I said. Uh, it, 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 I used to not realize that it's Christ literally living in me. It's not a figure of speech. It's not a picture. It's not just an illustration. It's reality. Do you believe that? Yes. yes he lives in you. And if you, once you recognize that, it revolutionizes your life. I remember once in the UK, we were getting ready for a big campaign, and uh, the Lord opened the door as a result of being there, that um, we were in the home of one of the wealthiest British people, whose wife had become a full-fledged believer in Jesus. He is still three-quarters on the way, but he's a good friend, and he brought ambassadors and our bishops and um, diplomats and scientists. And uh, it was an evening meeting in their fabulous mansion in London. And I was there sort of the invited hotshot. And uh, I, I got to thinking, if they only knew what cow town I come from, and they only knew what my house looks like, and the unpaved roads in this country town in Argentina, they probably wouldn't even look at me twice. But somehow they don't know it. I know, how do you do, Dr. Palau? I don't even have a doctorate. It's all honorary, you know. And uh, I'm good at that. And uh, <laughs> uh, the real thing is harder. You've got to go to these big colleges. But, uh, but I thought, what the Lord can do through a nobody bush, as long as you acknowledge the presence of God. And you can say, Lord, I'm afraid of talking to my neighbors. I don't know how to get the conversation going. That's all, always the biggest problem. But you are in me, and you're through me, and you're going to use me. Brothers and sisters, rejoice in that. Remind yourself of that. And every morning when you get up, they told us that when we were being trained to be missionaries. Before your feet touch the ground, say, thank you, Lord Jesus. You indwell me. 
You are, I am one with you. My body is your temple. I don't have all the answers, but you do, and you live within me. I'm going to be tempted to you this day, but I don't have the power, but you have the power, and you indwell me. There'll be opportunities to witness. Lord, you'll remind me of the verses I need to remember. And you just remind yourself day after day, I am the temple of the living God. Will you do that? Do it, do it. I encourage you. Some of you perhaps come from a background where you think, ooh, this is a little strange. No, it's not strange. It's the most glorious thing that the presence of God is what revolutionizes a man and a woman. Yes, it does. The second thing is the promises of God. And that I learned again from the missionaries and my mother and my dad, though he died when I was a boy. But I would like to turn now to Psalm 119 and look at some of the promises of God that come out just in one paragraph of that big psalm. You know, St. Augustine memorized the whole Psalm 119. Wouldn't that be nice? I don't think I can do it. I haven't even tried. I'm from Argentina. What do I know? But uh, St. Augustine memorized Psalm 119. And you can see why it was so encouraging. And he was such a man. But let's begin just reading first the first segment, Aleph, and let's read it. It says, Blessed are those whose ways are blameless, who walk according to the law of the Lord. Blessed are they who keep their statutes, his statutes, and seek him with all their heart. They do nothing wrong. They walk in his ways. You have laid down precepts that are to be fully obeyed. Oh, that my ways were steadfast in obeying your decrees. Then I would not be put to shame when I consider all your commands. I will praise you with an upright heart. I learn your righteous laws. I will obey your decrees. Do not utterly forsake me. Now, that's the introduction to that psalm, and we're not going to park there right now. You can do it for yourself later on. But the second one has seven commitments that the psalmist makes, uh, and I wanted to point those out as we read it and then look at some of the perks in the first few verses of this chapter. So section number two, and there are seven commitments that the psalmist makes that maybe you may want to take to heart yourself, and you'll notice it as, as we read. How can a young man, a young person, keep their way pure by living according to your word? I seek you with all my heart. Do not let me stray from your commands. I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Praise be to you, O Lord. Teach me your decrees. With my lips, I will recount all the laws that come from your mouth. I rejoice in following your statutes as one rejoices in great riches. I meditate on your precepts and consider your ways. I delight in your decrees. I will not neglect your word. Let's stop right there. That's the second segment, as I'm sure your Bible points out. There are seven things that, the, that I thought we should note for just one moment as a sevenfold commitment that perhaps we could go home as old-timers, middle-aged, and younger ones, back to the ranch, back wherever we live, and walk with God this way. The first one, as I have it marked down here, is uh, I seek you with all my heart. In verse 10, I seek you with all my heart. Don't let me stray from your commands. 
And you know, that's a commitment that one makes. I seek you with all my heart. I try in the morning, and I have for many years, that even before I look at the Wall Street Journal, ever, but definitely before I watch CNN or Fox, uh, Fox especially, but then that's another point. Uh-huh, not in the Bible. Uh, but uh, I, uh, I seek you with all my heart. Spend time with the Lord. I find that when you meditate on the Lord, before you look at the news, you take it much more calmly, much less nervously, much less worried because you're reminded that the Lord is still on the throne, that he overrules in the affairs of men. He doesn't necessarily control events, but he overrules events. So I seek you with all my heart. The second commitment he makes is in verse whatever. I can't see it very well. Uh, the third one down. I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. To me, this is memory work as well as meditation work. I have hidden your words in my heart. They're in here. They're not only in the book, but they're in my heart, in my spirit, in my soul, in my inner being. I have hidden your word so that I even learn to react by, with the thoughts of God. I have hidden your word in my heart. Number three, with my lips, I recount all the laws that come from your mouth. With my lips, I recount all the words that come from your mouth. I learned this one from my mom. Now, she wasn't a saint. She wasn't perfect like I am, but she was a good woman. And she taught us, uh, whenever you asked a question from my mom, she usually didn't answer her own opinion. She'd give you a verse. And you know, we all got used to it. My five sisters, my little brother and I, uh, we, we, uh, we absolutely have learned to trust the word of the Lord and to rely on it. And you, we as old timers, we need to do it. Some people may get impatient, their problem. Our goal and joy is to give the word of the Lord. It has great power. And you know, the older I've been getting, and one gets older every day, uh, the simpler I've been preaching the gospel the last few years, the more people come to Christ. You stick with the word of God. You don't have to be a bright, you know, super brilliant mind, although that's a nice in its place. But as far as the things, are, I remember we had the, the great, the, the last big crusade in America was in New York City that I was the preacher. And we were at the Radio City Music Hall and it was exciting and a lot of people came to the Lord. Then we went to Times Square and again, simple preaching. But it all culminated in Central Park and we had Matt Redman singing and oh, it was a big thing. The mayor showed up. We laid hands on him or the locals did and prayed up a storm. But anyway, and uh, so uh, I, I, I thought... Since I was a kid in Argentina in 1957, Billy Graham had a crusade in New York. And I remember reading and thinking, someday, maybe I'll preach in New York. And Billy finished in Times Square. And I thought, maybe I'll finish in Times Square. I didn't, we ended up in Central Park. But I thought, I know what I'm gonna preach on, what Billy preached in 57. Nobody will remember anyway, you know. And uh, it was Isaiah chapter one in which the Lord calls Israel, the donkeys follow their master, but you have abandoned me. And I thought, man, if I am up there in Central Park, I'm going to ask the people of New York and America. And I was an Argentinian. Now I'm American. Where's my passport? Yeah, there it is. Yeah. If the ice comes, I got to have my passport on me. I, 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 got, a, I got a funny Spanish name, Luis 
Palau. Unpronounceable, he must be an alien. Anyway, so where was I? Yeah. And, uh, but then when the day came, Central Park, I literally felt the Holy Spirit say to me, it wasn't a voice, but it was a voice. Don't you dare show off, you little weasel. You know, yeah. Don't, 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 you, don't you stand because the cameras are rolling and America, return to God. You know, the Lord said to me, you got a bunch of people in front of you who need to find a savior. Preach it as simple as you can. So I did it in the three places, and I got an email. One of the few negative emails that my guys pass on to me, they hide them from me, so I won't get depressed. And uh, this guy said, I went, to, I went to Radio City Music Hall to hear the good music, to see they had an artist who painted stuff, and to hear what Palau would say. And all he did was, come to Jesus, come to Jesus, same old thing. I didn't have his email, but I wanted to answer and say, I'm glad you got it, buddy. Yeah, that's what I'm here. Same old thing. Come to Jesus. You know, C.S. Lewis, this is not in the Bible, but uh, C.S. Lewis, when he wrote the book about uh, the old, old demon training the young demon, you know, to mess up the church. What was the name of that book? How much? That's it. I can't remember, but I can't hear either. So uh, whatever it was. He's the, the, the old demon training the young demon to mess up the church said, said to him, get him talking about sociology, get him talking about philosophy, get him talking about politics, but keep him from repeating the same old thing. And he always called the gospel the same old thing. So, yeah, the simplicity of the word of God has power. So when you don't know what to say, don't worry. Quote a Bible verse. Some people say, oh, that's simplistic. Thank you very much. You know, uh, through the years, people come up to me, especially in Latin America. They say, Brother Palau, I've heard you on the radio for 60 years, and you say the same thing over and over. I say, thank you. I'm so glad. <laughs> that's what I intend to do, say the same old thing, because the same old thing is what saves your soul, sanctifies you, and makes you fruitful for the kingdom of God. Okay, now that was a sermon in itself. But uh, <laughs> then number three, he says, I, number four, three, three, yeah, oh, whatever. Uh, I rejoice in following your statutes as one rejoices over great riches. I rejoice. That's a commitment. I rejoice in following your statutes. The next point, I meditate on your precepts and consider your ways. Meditate. There's a lot of talk about meditation. Even the Wall Street Journal has a lot of articles about meditating and they use different terms. Same old thing on the other side. Uh -huh. But we meditate. Meditation is not something that came out of Hinduism or Buddhism. It came out of the Word of God. It's what you meditate on that makes all the difference. We meditate on the revealed will of God, not on little mantras that shut your brain and make you a moron. No, we are, we are meditating on the Word of God. Don't meditate, don't follow the world, don't follow the Hinduism, much as we love Hindu people. And don't follow Buddhism, follow the word of the Lord. We meditate on his statutes, meditate on it, and you become a giant without even realizing it. You know the thoughts of God, the mind of God, the ways of God, the sovereignty of God. It all comes out as you meditate on the word of the Lord. So he made a commitment, I will meditate on your, on your words. And then in verse 16, I delight in your decrees. 
You know, one learn, needs to learn to delight in the things of God and minimize what we have to do with philosophy out in the world. Yes, we read, we're not stupid, but we meditate and we remember and we delight in it. And then the last thing he says, I will not neglect your word. You know, every saint can be a powerful servant of God. I've seen people, my wife and I, and many of you have traveled, but down in South America, there's a lot of illiterate people even yet, especially of the older generation, but even the young, still in many areas. But you know those who love the Lord? They listen, they remember. Sometimes uh, people who are not well-trained can memorize better than us who read it, you know, because they depend totally on memory. They don't depend on reading. And I'm always amazed how many little old ladies up in the highlands of Bolivia who don't have one year of schooling, but when they talk to me about the things of God, they are mighty people of God because they meditate on the Word, because they listen to the reading of the Word on radio or from their preacher, and they know God Himself. And you know, it's really impressive. Sometimes we who study a bit too much and read too much, too much stuff, we just get confused by choice. Uh, those who meditate on the things of God, and He says, I will be glad, I will be glad uh, from your word. So that is a commitment that we need to make. Now, let's look at three or four because time doesn't allow. But you can look it up for yourself and have fun studying Psalm 119. How many perks pop out out of those, these verses? And except for one verse, every verse in Psalm 119 mentions the law, the word, the decrees, the commands. It's always every single verse mentions God's revelation. And only one of them, as far as I could tell, does not. All the others are related to the, to the Word of God. So first, in verses 9 and 11, one of the perks for the people of God that the world doesn't even get sometimes is purity. How can a young person keep their way pure? By guarding it according to your Word. I have hidden your Word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Purity. What a gift that is. What a perk that is. That we learn to love purity. To want holiness. To want a clean mind. And a clean heart. And clean behavior. That is a gift of God. And one of the great ways that the Holy Spirit uses. He tells us so himself. Through the psalmist. How can a young person keep their way pure? By guarding it according to your word. And you know it has great power the word. It comes back to you. You know, and it says, you remember in John uh, 16 and 14 both, where it says, the Holy Spirit will teach you all things and remind you of everything that I have told you. The Holy Spirit can only remind us of things we know, but he does remind us. And when we saturate ourselves with the Word of God, one of the effects is, I want to be holy because I want to please the blessed Holy Spirit that indwells me. My body is a temple of the living God. The Spirit of God dwells in me. Uh, in chapter 3 of 1 Corinthians, which we didn't read, but you all know it, it says that your body is sacred because it's the temple of God. And so I want to be holy. I want to be pure. I want to please the Lord. I don't want to grieve the Spirit or quench the Spirit. I want to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And we can be. And one of the great ways is just let the Word just take over in our lives. The second one that I thought you'd want to look at is, uh, let's see, I, um, boy, my, my sight has gotten so bad. 
Anyway, let's look at verse 50. Spurgeon had a sermon that when I was a young fellow uh, touched me profoundly. Verse 50. My comfort in my affliction is this. Your promise preserves my life. Comfort in affliction. We all go through affliction. Some have it much worse than others, and only the Lord knows sovereignly why he allows certain things in our lives. We, last night, I met a beautiful Iranian sister. Is she here this morning? No. What a beautiful face, huh? Such a, almost you see the face of Jesus in this Iranian young woman. What is she, 26, did we say? 24. How much? 24. Boy, I wish, I wish my granddaughters looked that young. You know, I thought she was 26 or something. She came to the States, led to the Lord. My phone is working? Yeah. To the Lord. Lost her husband in how many months? Uh, less than a year. Huh? Less than a year. Yeah, less than a year, last May. But she was here radiant, wasn't she? I mean, radiant. You talk about radiance. It was her face. You've got to see her. Bring her someday. Don't tell her. and Show her to everybody, you know? I mean, <laughs> there's a face of the Lord Jesus just burn. And some people, it shows. And some of us, with bad, bad looking, it never shows. But, you know, <laughs> but the fact is that over here, he says, this is my comfort in my affliction. You know, becomes a Christian. Her family are still non-believers. And she loses her husband in less than a year. And yet, the radiance of Jesus Christ. This is my comfort in my affliction. And Spurgeon in that sermon, if you ever find it, read it. It's an amazing thought that the comfort of God comes through the word of God. It's a perk that the world doesn't have. And we believers need to learn to appropriate the perks that the Lord has given us. There's another one that I know many people. Uh, let's see. I'm, oh, counselor. That's the one. Okay, verse 23. Go back. My eyesight is standing in the way quite a bit. It says, look, though, verse 23, though rulers sit together and slander me, your servant will meditate on your decrees. Your statutes are my delight. They are my counselors. There's a lot of counseling going on, and it's very good stuff, most of it. Uh, there's some counselors on the grounds here. I talked to a pastor who also teaches the word and counsels. And good, godly counsel is terrific. But you know the best counsel, I say it with reverence, and any good counselor who's a Christian will admit it, is the word of God. They are my counselors. A buddy of mine who went to be with the Lord recently was a pastor up in the Pacific Northwest. And he wrote a book that I honestly never read, but I like the titles. You can't read every book that they give you. And uh, even mine. But uh, he said, if Jesus were your counselor, intriguing title, if Jesus were your counselor, and then every chapter is, what would he say about this? So whatever is hounding you and worrying you, and you are concerned, and maybe fearful, they are my counselors. They are my counselors. The word of God is amazingly penetrating and it penetrates every angle. I can't think of any angle that the Word of God doesn't deal with somewhere. In the Old Testament, with illustrations of case studies all the way from Genesis to Malachi. And in the New Testament, also with some illustrations, but also with more clear-cut statements. The, the, the Word of God is 
great for counsel, for yourself, and even for those who have a need that you want to help, but you don't know how to do it. If you know the Word of God, pass on the Word of God. They are my counselors. And you know, all of us believers have that privilege. It's ours. It's a perk. It's a thing the world doesn't know, poor things. And they don't realize that following Jesus is not boring or dull or joy killers. It's the most wonderful thing to walk with the Lord Jesus Christ. And they've got to see it in us, boys and girls. Huh? They've got to see it in us so that they see that we truly do depend on the counsel of the Word of God. And then let's jump to the famous one in 105, okay? Psalm uh, verse 105. Uh, many of you memorized it like I did when we were kids. Uh, I did it in Spanish, you did it in English. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light for my path. What does that do? It keeps us from stumbling. We know all about that. How do you keep from stumbling spiritually? The word of God is a light, a lamp to my feet. I see that as the immediate step today and tomorrow. And a light to my path long term. To me, that's my interpretation of those two phrases. A lamp to my feet right now, today, whatever it is, Monday something or other, in February 2020. The word of God is a lamp. It's also a light to my way. What do I do tomorrow and the next day? And it lightens the way. It makes life easier. And it's a perk, a gift, a free gift of God. The world doesn't know that. They're on their own. And sometimes they make good choices and sometimes make miserable choices. And they stumble and they fall and they wonder what happened. Why are they lying in the mud? Why did they mess up their family? Why did their reputation go to the dogs? How could that have happened? And sometimes it happens to us when we get careless and we forget that the word is a lamp. You can never know the word of God too much. I have found, you know, I've been at it for 70 years, seriously, 65, let's say. And you read the same old passage and suddenly something pops out. Don't you find that too? Something new. And you say, how come I miss that? Thank the Lord. He, does, he, he, he reveals it from time to time. Depending on what we're going through, the Holy Spirit does that. And then... 111. Look at this one. I love this one. It's a simple one. Nothing is that complicated. Your statutes are my heritage forever. They are the joy of my heart. They are the joy of my heart. Sometimes we have grandchildren who give us pain. Sometimes children give us troubles. But the Word of God gives us joy. And when we get used to all the blessings of the Word of God, they are the joy of our heart. And we believers, therefore, can be joyful every day. Remind you, I've repeated it so many times. You say, okay, Louis, we get it. No, you don't. You'll forget by tomorrow. Yeah, yeah. Let the young children, the grandchildren, the people of the neighbors, and other older people around you, let them see the joy of your heart, your joy. The other day, a lady in a retirement home in Oregon, I find out one of my team members is near their retirement home, and he goes there visiting and she was Jewish and she was in bad shape widow and she said I got these pills to take my life and when I get really bored I'm going to take them and uh, my team member said no 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 don't do that look let me tell you about you I don't even believe in Jesus uh, the other day a week ago about 10 days Thursday a week Thursday uh, she took the pills and she was gone you know so what a sad thing no hope no assurance no eternal life, no knowledge of the living God, just a nice lady, a nice neighbor apparently in that retirement place, but no, no life, no joy. 
life was meaningless. So pop, she pops two pills in Oregon, it's legal, and off you go. And she went. You know, what a, what a blessing we have that we can actually rejoice. I'll only look at one more and then uh, try and follow up. Uh, understanding it. 130 struck me when I came to the USA listening to Ray Steadman, who was a, a great expositor of the Word of God in Palo Alto. Some of you knew him, perhaps, or heard of him. And he was on the board here, and he was also a, a great guy. He helped so many young fellows, especially he had a burden for young guys who, whose dad was not around because his own dad uh, gave him away to an uncle. And uh, so he had a special burden for young guys. And because I, my dad wasn't alive, he, God used him to bring me to the States. He was on the board of a foundation. They paid for my expenses. He brought me here. He was visiting Argentina. And he cons I thought he considered me one of his favorite boys, you know. He, once he said, I want to adopt you. <laughs> I wish I'd have done it. It would have been so much easier for my PR, you know. <laughs> Instead of Luis Palau to be called Louis Stedman. Wouldn't that be much easier for Anglo-Saxons to get it? But I thought, nah, I'll hurt my mom's feelings. And if my dad can see from heaven, it's, oh, so he's given up on me. So I said, hey, thanks, Ray, but let's, let's just carry on. But he did treat me like a son. I mean, so when he was dying of cancer up in Oregon, Pat and I went to see him one month before he went to be with the Lord. And he was like a good pastor, a chubby, soft, well-fed young man. And... Uh, <laughs> He was about 70. You know, a good pastor should be soft. Well, I always think a pastor, when you embrace him, you should feel, ooh, I'm lost in the fat. You know, <laughs> that's my opinion. It's not biblical. It's beyond scripture. But so I used to hug Ray. Loved the guy. I went and hugged him, and he was all bones. He, the, 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 the illness had drained it out of him. So we sat down, and he hated numbers. He would always berate me. You are always telling that you had 100,000 people in London. Stop showing off, you little braggart. And he was really nice to me, but whew, he came down hard on me. And I said, oh, Ray, you don't know anything about publicity. You're hiding in Palo Alto. If you had to you know, speak to Europe, you've got to make a big noise. And so we go around and around. But we sat down, and for some reason, the conversation, I said, Ray, how many young guys have you blessed and ministered to like you've done with me? And again, remember, he hated numbers. But on this occasion, he relented. And he looked at Elaine, his wife, and he said, 700? Oh, oh I thought I was the only one, you know. <laughs> and he, he, he's 700 or so. And it's true, he picked up lonely boys, teenagers mostly, as one of them here these days. And he would, they're not necessarily without a parent, but, you know, sort of stray sheep kind of thing and all sorts of, and he just loved kids and he was such a blessing. But you know, uh, so what does the scripture say about, about this? You know, the scripture tells us that in Psalm 111, not only are they joy of my heart, but in Psalm, in one, verse 165, it says, great peace have those who love your law and nothing can make them stumble. Great peace have those who love your law, and nothing can make them stumble. And I remember when our boys, we had four boys, the Lord gave us four sons. And I, my prayer was that same verse connected with one in Isaiah that says, uh, great, great shall be the peace of your sons. Great shall be the peace of your sons. And you know, the four boys walk with the Lord, and we thank the Lord for that. 
But you know, the word of God brings great peace when we love his law. But I was telling you about Ray. Ray exposited the word of God. And that is the best way to bless a congregation. And in 130, you, you notice what it says. The unfolding, or one translation says, the exposition of your words gives light. It gives understanding to the simple. So when you want to bless someone, do a little exposition of one verse or ten verses or whatever, and you will build them up and bless them beyond imagination. So the presence of God, the promises of God. There are so many. Meditate on them. Rejoice. When I get up in the morning, you know, in my phone, there's a thing called the U version, and there's always every, a verse, usually one, maybe two maximum. I open that quickly just so that my mind is set on the Lord. As soon as I wake up, before I splash water on my face practically, I check it out to see what the verse of the day is and just meditate on it for a few moments Praise the Lord, and then get on uh, getting ready for the day. But the, the, the third big perk is the people of God. And you know, I, I meet many people. Now that I'm, like I said, I don't travel as much, I spend a little more time relaxing at the bank, at Safeway, at Starbucks, in the neighborhood, watching the dogs that I told you about, and the, the walkers, and so on in our neighborhood. And you know, uh, people come up and they say, Oh, hey, I hear you on the radio. Oh, good. I always ask, what church do you go to? And the biggest denomination in America is the in-between church. It, it, yeah, it's just, you can't believe how many people are in-between churches. Apparently, it's a whole denomination across the country. They, they say, well, where do you live? In Tualatin. Uh, you have a church there? Well, no, I'm searching. But anyway, at least they know there's such a thing as searching or in-between, you know. But... The church is a beautiful thing. I've been an elder. It's a regular church. It's a Bible church. It's a Dallas Seminary kind of church. Not Presbyterian. No, no. But nevertheless, in spite of all the weaknesses, it's the body of Christ. And the Lord is the head of his body. And you know, when we criticize the church, and some people say, I believe in God, but I have nothing to do with organized religion. Fine, nobody said you're supposed to be with organized religion. Shove it, I mean, get rid of it. But uh, what does the Lord want? He is the head of the church. He purchased it with his own blood, St. Paul says in Acts chapter 20. And therefore, it's not because it's perfect. John Stott was the one who used to say, if you find the perfect church, don't join it because you'll spoil it. But uh, he, he did, it was John. Uh, he, I'm sure others said it too, but he, I, I remember John. Uh, talking about it. But you know the fact, it's still the body of Christ. And he's not going to smile on people and say, the church is a bunch of junk, it's full of hypocrites. Yeah, you're number one probably. How come you know so much? You know, I mean, the body of Christ is the body of Christ. And he is the head. He loves the body with all its weaknesses, especially yours uh -huh. and mine. And he loves it. And you know, we don't treat the body lightly. And when you are an elder, which I was, finally I became old, not just an elder. And you say, the body of Christ is... I go to, to Sunday services, not that I expect some great sermon, but I love to worship with the people of God. I love communion. 
And I was thinking in the middle of the night last night, an old hymn that is called, The Church is One Foundation. It's an old one, huh? Even you guys probably don't know it. You're too young. But uh, the church is one foundation as Jesus Christ our Lord. He is its new creation by water and the word. And then at the end, the last verse says, Yet she on earth has union with God the three in one, and mystic sweet communion with those whose rest is one. Ever since I was a kid, the boarding school I went to was an Anglican boarding school. And this is one of the hymns that they used to sing every year, over and over. So finally, I memorized it practically, though I checked it out on my iPhone just to be sure. But there's a, the, the, she is, uh, she, uh, yet she on earth has union with God the three in one. And mystic, sweet communion with those whose rest is one. Those who've gone before us to heaven. There is a mystic communion. And when you sit at the Lord's table with the rest of the body of Christ, sometimes you see little kids go up. In our church, they do different approaches. Sometimes you go and get the bread and the little cup. And you, know, and you see kids go up. And sometimes we all the time say, what's that kid doing? We don't know what he's doing. Would you think Jesus would chase him out and say, get out of here, kid. Don't you dare touch the bread. No, I think the Lord loves it. And it's great to be with the body of Christ and see people lined up to get a little bit of bread, to get a little cup, sit down, meditate for a few minutes, eat the bread, take the cup. There's mystic sweet communion, not only with those in the body right around you, but also with those whose rest is one. In other words, they're with the Lord. And you know, the body of Christ is the body of whom? Hey, you can't, you're not listening. I put you to sleep. It is 11, but you still have another hour, so don't hurry. Uh-huh. No, but it's the body of Christ, not the body of the Baptists, not the body of the Presbyterians, not the body of the Episcopals, not the body of the Christian Missionary Alliance. It's the body of Jesus Christ. And we love them, not because they are perfect like you and I, but because they are members of the body of Christ. And they were rescued by the same blood that rescued me, rescued them. Do I know a little more than them? Perhaps. They probably know more than I do. But that's not the point. We are members of the body of Christ. And you know, to me, it came out with my illness. I've never received so many letters of people saying, we love you, we hear you, we pray for you. The Lord's going to keep you. I always used to answer, no, 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 don't, don't push the Lord. He may want to take me home and I'm ready to go. Why should I stay? Except for my wife and a few others, I, I, I'm ready to go. I, and so on. You know, now that the word is out that I'm feeling better, nobody writes anymore. You know, <laughs> that's right. I, I, feel, I feel abandoned, you know. Oh, Louis, okay, let's pray for somebody else now, you know. So, but uh, the fact is, I learned how sweet the body of Christ can be. And to not allow ourselves to be dragged by a few people who by mistake or weakness or whatever stumble and fall. Let's leave them with the Lord, pray for them and bless them. But rejoice. The majority of believers are humble people who love the Lord, love each other, want to do the right thing. The body of Christ is the body of Christ. And therefore, we love it and enjoy it. The mystic sweet communion. Meditate on that, even though it's not a biblical phrase. But the concept is, think of it. Uh, okay, Dave is coming. That means the, the, the end is here. Okay. I love you. I love you. 
his name serves his temperament. Yeah. <laughs> Dave Burns. Uh-huh. And then lastly then, so the presence of God, the promises of God, the people of God, and the proclamation of the good news of God. The good news is not that this church is better than that church or that, you know, that we're superior to other people. No, the message is the gospel of God about his son. And so, as you go home, go with joy in Jesus Christ. Remember some of the thoughts that the Lord may have impressed on your heart. The younger crowd is looking at us. Don't kid yourself. You may not think so. And you see yourself as one of the little old ladies in church. Somebody opens the door and says, hello, welcome. And in California, God loves you and so do I. You know, that's, that's a California welcome. And it used to be. Maybe it's over by now. But uh, you're not just a little old lady in the church. You're a saint of God. Be a blessing. You never know. You just might bless somebody who came in depressed and sees a little old lady happy and Jesus said, gee whiz, I'm 28 and this little old lady is happier than I am. What's the matter with me? You know, and the Lord could use you in a great way. And you old boys, you know, look at people in the eye and show them love and respect and hug them and say, hey, well, glad to be with you. Well, watch the hugging, but, uh, you know, uh, you, can, you can be used of God in a special way. So as we go home, let's go with that commitment, the seven commitments that you might review afterwards for yourself, and then be a blessing wherever we go. We've got a lot of years yet to go, some of us anyway, we hope, and we can be a blessing, not just another person who all they want is your check. Forget that. You do that as unto the Lord. What you want to do is be filled with the Spirit, be a joyful believer, be filled with the Word of God, respecting that sense of the presence of God in you. It's not just you sitting in the pew. You are the temple of the living God. I've said it a few times. Maybe it'll come in your nightmares. You can see me. Oh, here comes Louis again. You know, uh, He's reminding me. But the, th- the truth is that it's the glorious reality. Amen? Okay. Can I pray, Dave? Thank you, I will. Let's bow in prayer, shall we? Ah, Father in heaven, we love this place called Mount Hermon because you've spoken to us, many of us, many times. We sense your presence even, Lord. Our forefathers must have been very godly. They dedicated this place to you And I know I can speak for me and my family. We love it because your name is exalted. Your word is proclaimed. Your love spreads abroad. There's a joy and a sense of oneness that is beautiful. Lord, we thank you for this weekend. And we pray for all the conferences yet to come this year, God willing. Unless you come back in the clouds this year, O Lord that it may be a fruitful year, a joyful year, a year where many young people will come to know you once and for all, forever. And Lord, we pray that as we go home, we'll go home with joy, rejoicing, because of you, because of your presence, because of your promises, because of the people in your church. And oh Lord, because we are to proclaim your holy name and the name of your blessed Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ. 
Lord, we thank you for the fact of eternal life. We thank you, Lord, that you came to indwell us. And we look forward to the day when imperfection at last, we'll be able to worship you as you deserve so well. So, Lord, bless each one as they go their own way. And they take us with joy, with freedom, with the fullness of the Holy Spirit. May we be seen as joyful, fruitful, holy, powerful men and women, even in our old age, O oh Lord, to the glory of your name. We ask it with thanksgiving in our Savior's holy name. Amen. 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 Oh, okay.